Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Do you want a sign? I know that you do, because I do too. I want a sign. Seeing is believing, right? And I want to see it. I want to touch it. I want to take it and bang it against the table a few times and see if it will stand up to some scrutiny, right? I want a sign. The people of Israel wanted a sign in John's gospel. They've already seen a few. Jesus turned water into wine. With the word, Jesus healed the son of an official. These are numbered in John's gospel as Jesus' first and second signs. We also saw Jesus disrupt the service of the temple in Jerusalem, and the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus riddles about destroying the temple and rebuilding it in three days. John tells us Jesus did other signs. He healed the blind, the lame, the sick. He walked on water. Here in John chapter 6, Jesus gives another sign. He miraculously feeds 5,000 people on a mere five loaves of barley bread and two fish. And when he's done, there are still 12 baskets of leftovers. You know that story well, I'm sure. John 6.14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Wouldn't you and I like to see signs? Who have you begged the Lord to heal? What ailments and afflictions have you begged him to remove? What oppression and evil have you called him to wipe out? We all want to see signs. I know we had probably plenty of donuts this morning, but who wouldn't like to see Jesus multiply a few loaves or turn water into wine right here? Sometimes, don't you wish he could just do something, anything out of the ordinary for once, just so we could see, so we could know for sure that he's really there, that he's paying attention, that he's involved in this beat-up and broken world? Are we much different from the people of Jesus' day? When Jesus gave them the bread, the people were ready to go. Viva la revolucion! Let's carry this guy up to Jerusalem. Make him king. That's what they try to do. But Jesus is the one born of the Spirit, and he blows where he wishes, and no one knows where he comes from or where he's going. So perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And then the one born of the Spirit just hovers over the sea like he owns the place. But the next day, the crowds find him again. Rabbi, when did you come here? John 6, 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He says it's not what they saw that motivated them, it's what they ate. As is often the case with us, our bellies, our desires, hold far more influence than we realize. 
And so Jesus begins one of the great discourses recorded for us in John's Gospel. And of course, it has to do with bread, with food, with drink, with a hunger for that which gives life. And so he says to the crowd who were filled to the brim yesterday and yet today find themselves hungry all over again. Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Oh, okay, we've got to work for the food. Well, we're used to that. Thought this Jesus guy might be different than all the other pharaohs we've served, but he says we've got to work for our bread. Well, that's okay, that's to be expected. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in, that you trust him whom he has sent. That's the work? Put our trust in the one God sent? Trusting a person doesn't seem like a work, but okay, I guess we can work at trusting, right? But wait, how can we trust you, Jesus? What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Isn't that how we decide whether we can trust someone? Don't we have to see what they do, how they act? Don't we have to see whether they are the kind of person who keeps their word, who delivers on their promises? We don't just trust them because of who, we, uh, who they are, do we? Well, maybe children do that. But we grown-ups have learned a thing or two about the real world. There are a lot of people you can't trust. So if we're going to trust someone, we are going to need some assurances. So, about that bread. You know, Jesus, Moses gave bread to our fathers in the wilderness, manna from heaven. That's why they trusted him. He gave them bread. He performed a sign. They saw it, and they trusted him. Jesus corrects their interpretation of the story. Verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you, notice the present tense verb there, my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. What did Jesus do there? Notice how he shifts the focus from the gift, the bread, to the giver. He shifts from a sign to a person, to God the Father in this case. But then Jesus makes another shift. He says, verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread, the gift, is actually a person too. The gift is a person, and that person doesn't just give bread to the people of Israel. He gives bread for the life of the world. The people don't quite seem to get it. They didn't say, give us that person. They said, verse 34, sir, give us this bread always. Well, no, guys, I just told you, I am the bread. And I know you're not going to want me always. Most of you don't want me ever. You don't trust me. You don't believe me. And that's the whole point. You think you want bread. But you don't want the bread, the true bread that the Father has sent you. 
Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. See, like us, the people of Israel think that if they see a sign, then they will believe, they will trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do. But Jesus points out they're seeing the sign. They're seeing the bread. They're seeing him. They're seeing him right now. But they don't trust him. Rabbi, when did you come here? Where do you come from, Jesus? What is your source? Why should we trust you? Jesus is born from above by water and the Spirit. He is the new creation tabernacling among Israel. And like the manna in the Exodus story, Jesus comes from heaven. He has been sent by heaven. And he comes to do the will of his Father on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, trusts him, should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now, what kind of bread can do that? I mean, I've heard of bread that rises before. But I don't think that's what we're talking about here. What kind of bread can raise you from the dead? Manna couldn't do that. Jesus says a far greater bread has come now from heaven. These Jews have a very rose-colored memory of what actually happened with the manna in the wilderness, don't they? They say, Moses gave us manna from heaven and we trusted him. Oh, you did? That's not how I remember the story. Do you remember what actually happened in the wilderness? God sends bread from heaven and when the people of Israel see this great sign, they say, manna, what is it? When they saw the bread, they didn't know it was the bread from heaven. Things haven't changed much in the intervening millennium and a half. Here in John 6, we've got Israel staring at the bread from heaven asking, who is this? Where does he come from? What does he think he's doing? They still don't recognize bread from heaven. Now also, do you remember why God sent the people of Israel manna in the wilderness? It was in response to their grumbling, to their grumbling. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Have you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger? That's what Exodus 16 says. To which God replies, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. In the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. You'll see a sign and you'll know, right? The manna was God's answer to their grumbling. But did their grumbling stop when they got the bread? No. Eventually, they got sick of the manna too, and they started grumbling about the manna. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks. 
But now there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. See, that's the true telling of the manna, isn't it? The people received a sign, bread from heaven, but they still didn't trust the God who gave it them. Instead, they grumbled about the prophet, and they grumbled about the bread that God had sent. And look what happens here in John 6 when Jesus tells the people he's the new and greater manna. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. After 1,500 years, God's people are still grumbling at the prophet and the bread that God has sent them. Verse 42, they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. We know this Jesus. We know his source. We know his dad and mom. We know he comes from Nazareth. But that's not Jesus' source. You and I know that Jesus is the one born of the Spirit, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He blows where he wishes. The Jews do not know where he comes from or where he goes. But when he tells them, they do not believe him. They do not trust him. They grumble. That his own people grumble at his coming shows God's sovereignty and salvation. We do not come to the Father of our own will and of our own power. The flesh is no help at all, as Jesus will say later in this very chapter. Here he speaks another famous line, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You must be born from above, born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Our only hope is that the Father draws us to himself by bringing us to his Son. For we are dead in our trespasses. Only the Spirit gives life. Jesus continues in verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That last phrase is very important. Jesus has already said that he is the greater manna. He is the bread from heaven. He comes to bring life eternal. But this is the first time he has identified this bread with his flesh. First time he's used the word flesh in John 6. And this minor development is not missed by his audience. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You and I are so used to the idea of eating the body of Christ that it's lost its horror. But the ancient world had no conception of this. The early Christians would later be persecuted by the Roman Empire, and among other things, they were accused of cannibalism because the Romans heard that in these secret gatherings, these Christians were eating the flesh of someone named Jesus. So that's how his words sounded to his fellow Jews. 
has this man lost his mind? Is he advocating cannibalism? How can he give us his flesh to eat? They could have known better. They should have learned from the story of Abraham and Isaac that all the animal sacrifices they offered at the temple represented human sacrifice. The animal was slaughtered in the place of humans for the penalty of human sin. The animal burned in the consuming fire of Yahweh and ascended in smoke as a representation of the human worshiper being consecrated and drawn into the Father's glory cloud, his presence. And the Jews ate the flesh of that animal substitute in the peace offering. They enjoyed life in communion with God because a son of the herd had been offered in their place. And they ate his flesh. But here, the leap between substitute animal flesh and an actual human offered for them, that was too much. They could not fathom that. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Yet he does. And Jesus doubles down, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, as if eating human flesh wasn't bad enough, now Jesus tells them they must drink his blood. But wait a second, the drinking of blood is a direct violation of God's law. Leviticus 7.26, you shall eat no blood whatever, whether of fowl or of animal, in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people you say you come from heaven, Jesus, that you come to do the Father's will, but now you're commanding us to do something that directly contradicts heaven's law. Now we know you're off your rocker, Jesus. Now we know you can't be trusted. But Jesus knows, the Bible also says, in the same book of Leviticus, for the life of every creature is its blood, its blood is its life. So if Jesus is going to give life to the world, how can he do it without giving his blood? Unless you drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what is the point Jesus is making in this passage? And why are the Jews missing that point? Why are they not comprehending his words? If Jesus is saying that they, if they were to bite his literal flesh and sip his literal blood, this gory ritual, would it magically grant them eternal life just by doing that work? Or is it the case that once again the Jews are seeking signs? They're thinking of literal bread to fill their bellies, while Jesus is trying to point them to a person, to trust in a person. He says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Now, when Jesus says that, he doesn't mean my flesh is literal food. My blood is literal drink. Even though that's the way the Jews want to understand him, Jesus is saying that his flesh and blood are the better, greater, deeper food and drink. 
true food, true drink. Because Jesus himself does what literal food and drink do, but he does it in a better, greater, and deeper way. Because literal food and drink will give you life. They will sustain your body for a few hours, at least. And Jesus gives life too. But Jesus gives truer life. Resurrection life. Life from the dead. Eternal life. Raised up on the last day life. Isn't that what he's been saying this whole time? Yes, I am like the manna. I too come from heaven. I too give life. But I do it in a truer way, in a deeper way, in a more solid way. Verse 35, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's a true bread. That's a true drink. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. It's not like that bread. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You see what I'm saying? My flesh is true food. It's the better, deeper, fuller food. It gives better, deeper, fuller life. Verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. He's talking about being united to Christ, because if we are united to Christ, his flesh is our flesh, his blood is our blood, his life is our life. We're his body. Because you are what you eat. Now, that's true of literal food, right? And literal drink. You consume it, our body breaks it down, it transforms its vitamins and minerals into our flesh and blood. So it is that way with true food and true drink as well, but in a deeper, fuller way. You are what you eat. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now again, this doesn't sound that controversial to us because we have 2,000 years of Christianity behind us, but these were shocking and startling things for the Jews. They were confounding mysteries. They were dark sayings. They were probably heresy or blasphemy or more likely both. Even those who had been following Jesus and, and heeding everything he said up to this point found this bloody banquet hard to stomach. Look at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling, there's that word again, knowing that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? This reminds us of what Jesus said to Nicodemus. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And Jesus brings up the question of source, where he comes from. And as he told Nicodemus, Jesus is born again. The born again one, born from above, sent by the Father. And so he asked these disciples, you can't accept that I am the true bread from heaven? What if you were to see me ascend back to heaven? Would you believe then? 
verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You see, the Jews, Jesus' own disciples even here, they expect the kingdom to come by the power of the flesh. That's why they want signs. That's why they want works. That's why they want bread. That's why they want to take Jesus and make him a king like all the other nations have. They think that salvation comes by the power and might of human flesh. But Jesus says the flesh, that flesh, is not his flesh at all. And it's no help. It is the spirit who gives life. You have to be born again from above, a new creation by water and the Spirit, nourished on the truer flesh, the truer food, and the truer drink that is Jesus. Jesus is not preaching the power of human flesh. Jesus says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe, Jesus says. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Only the Spirit gives life. Verse 66 tells us, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And based on the Old Testament stories Jesus has referenced, this is kind of what we would expect, isn't it? Because at the first exodus, God sent his chosen prophet to the children of Israel. God rained bread from heaven on the children of Israel, and they grumbled against God's prophet and against God's bread. In their hearts, Israel turned back and no longer walked with God. And as Paul said in today's epistle reading, God was not pleased with them. They were overthrown in the wilderness. So it is in John 6 as well. We are in the wilderness, and God has sent bread from heaven, and many of Jesus' own people do not trust him. So, as with the Exodus generation, they are overthrown in the wilderness. They abandon Jesus. But even in the Exodus, there were some Israelites who remained faithful, weren't there? And so it is in John 6 as well. Look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answers with some of the most poignant words in Scripture. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What is this confession? It's a response to the question that Jesus has been putting before us over and over again for six chapters now. The question of identity. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Peter says, he is the Holy One of God, the Christ, the Messiah. How does Peter know this? Is it the signs? Is it the bread? Is it the walking on water? Peter says it's the words. You have the words of eternal life. If we were to leave you, where would we go? No one else has these words. You see, Peter, at least in this moment, Peter gets it. All that Jesus has been saying 
Peter is eating it up and drinking it in. Peter is feasting on the life-giving words of Jesus, feasting on Jesus, the Word himself. Lord, help him. He doesn't understand much of what Jesus says. But he's devouring Jesus' words anyway because faith comes by hearing, hearing with hungry ears. And the Father is drawing Peter to himself by the power of the Spirit through the words of his Son. And as Peter feasts on Christ by faith, Peter becomes what he eats. He abides in Christ, and Christ abides in him, and Peter will live forever. Brothers and sisters, to whom shall we go? Shall we go to signs and wonders, miracles we naively think we wouldn't doubt? Shall we go to lesser bread, the comforts and securities of earthly goods and possessions which appeal to our desires but ultimately leave us hungry the next day? Shall we go to the works of the flesh thinking that with human ingenuity and human labor we can secure our comfort secure our safety, perhaps even escape death. To whom shall we go? Peter is at least wise enough to know that all of these cannot deliver what they promise. None of these can grant eternal life. None of these can save us from death and decay. To whom shall we go? Tell it true, Brother Peter. We all know it deep in our bones. There is no one else. To whom shall we go? So let us, with Simon Peter, come hungry to feed on Jesus Christ, the word of eternal life. Let us pray. You, Christ, are the bread of life. You are the true manna come from heaven. You are the only one who gives his flesh for the life of the world. And your flesh is true food. Your blood is true drink. You alone have risen from the grave. Therefore, you alone can raise us up on the last day. And so we ask your Father to draw us to himself. Make us to abide in you. We ask you to send your Spirit to give us faith that we too may believe and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It is in this name, in your name, that we pray. Amen.